Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Merry Christmas, right? Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us online. If you are at home with us or doing whatever you're doing, um, have you ever noticed, and maybe this year has definitely had this on your mind, that as we get older, as time goes on, the way we experience Christmas changes. Like think back when you were a kid, a little kid, a little itty bitty one, and how your experience over the years has changed of Christmas. Uh, I'll share with you the way that's changed for me, and maybe none of you will relate to the specifics, but you'll at least relate to the fact that things change over time. On the way we experience Christmas. So it would start in December, uh, mid-December usually. We would go to my grandparents' house uh, and we'd be gathered together with our cousins and my aunts and uncles and all that. And Santa Claus would show up, y'all, like at their house. They've got connections. Like for real. And uh, last year, I think it was, I sat on the same Santa's lap for the like 30th time uh, in a row. <laughs> uh, so they've got connections. And then, like, Christmas Eve, we would hang out with uh, my stepdad's side of the family at, at his sister's house, my aunt's house, and we'd spend time together with family. We'd play games, uh, and, and we'd just have a fun time. We'd open presents and, and have a really enjoyable time together. Christmas Eve night, uh, me and my brother, he would stay in my room, and I never let him in my room except for on Christmas Eve. We'd play video games together and then watch a Christmas movie before we went to bed. And uh, Christmas Day would start at about 2 in the morning. Because I'd wake up, and then I'd go back to sleep. I'd try to go back to sleep because I was so excited. 3 o'clock, wake up, go back to sleep. 4 o'clock, wake up, go back to sleep. 5 o'clock, that's good enough for me, right? It's early, but that's okay. It's Christmas, let's do this, right? And so me and my brother would go downstairs, and we would wait for uh, my mom and my stepdad to get downstairs. And y'all, like, they took forever every single year and then they'd finally get up you know come down uh and, and be like zombies and then they'd have to get coffee and all this stuff and that was before i needed coffee in the morning i was just rearing to go we dig into the presents and that was so fun but then i had about a couple hours and i had to get ready for the day because i was going to be picked up by my dad and so uh, my, my parents were divorced, and so I have like 17 sides of the family. So you're picking that up. Uh, so we would then get in the car and go down to Richmond, Indiana. Any, anybody been to Richmond? It's lit, y'all. It is a party, for real. Uh, but no, we would go to my great-grandparents' house, and their house was epic. It was awesome. And this is the crazy thing, y'all. So it's Christmas Day, right? But we would rewind do Christmas Eve on Christmas Day. It was like we got to do it all over again. And as a kid, I'm like, this is the most amazing thing ever, right? And so we do Christmas Eve. They had these really cool knitted stockings that we open up stuff, and they could they they stretch, so you get a lot of stuff in there. It was awesome. Uh, and uh, they also had these like uh, electric warming blankets that I had never experienced before. Is amazing. It's amazing. That's the only time I ever got to enjoy them. Um, but anyway, like we wake up and then do Christmas Day on Christmas. The, last, the second day, December 26th, we'd do Christmas Day again, do it all over again, and then we'd hang out there for a few days, and then we end up going back home, or I would. And 
it was just amazing. But then as I got older, right, uh, Sarah and I started dating and I started going to her family's house and celebrating Christmas there. So we got to add to the fun, right? And then when we uh, got married, we had become followers of Jesus. And at that time, Christmas had a brand new meaning because growing up, I just thought Christmas was like this time where you like got presents and saw Santa and that was it. Like that was Christmas. It was amazing, right? It's awesome. Get a bunch of presents. Anybody here? You like getting presents? Come on. Come on. For real. Be selfish. Show, show them the hands, right? People at home, you ain't, you ain't bashful. Okay. But then we, we found out that, oh, Christmas actually has like some meaning beyond just me. And so we got to find out that uh, God came down and gave us the best present that we've ever received and ever could receive. And that is in Jesus. And so Christmas started to shift in terms of the way we celebrate and the things we thought about. And then we had kids and we started changing our routine to try and make sure that they had an experience that was both fun and exciting like we grew up with, but also anchored to Jesus. And so uh, as as we got older, the, the family gatherings, I'm sure some of you, maybe none of you have experienced this, like they started to look different because relational started happening. So the, the gathering started looking different. People's relationships stopped or started. And so the, the gatherings we had were a little smaller or less frequent or a little bit more chaotic. And as we've gotten older, things have shifted and things have changed. And over the years, our Christmas experience has changed, right? And maybe this year, that is the most pronounced thing on our mind right now as we are anticipating Christmas is that our traditions, the things we enjoyed, the normal that we created around Christmas, it might change this year. It likely will. We've got, we're questioning like, what do we even do? Do we even gather? How many people? Who doesn't come? Who does come? Hopefully cousin Eddie doesn't show up in his RV in our driveway. Amen? (laughs) Right? Um, Because he did last year, but hopefully he's keeping him away. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what we're dealing with right now. That's on our mind. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Christmas time, just in general, can be pretty difficult for a lot of people. Because our stressors, we're more aware of a lot of the things that are already on our minds. You know, for some of us, we're grieving, grieving the loss of loved ones. And this time is when that's much more pronounced because this is the time we would normally get together and see them and spend some quality time. It's the time where uh, some of us are stressed about finances because now we're like trying to buy stuff for a lot of people, but we don't have enough to buy the things for the people we want to buy them for. And so we're trying to make things and we're trying to put it, piece it all together or we're running up our credit card bill. And we know January is coming because they ain't going to just let us off the hook. They're going to make sure that we pay all those bills that we ran up because we could swipe the thing. By the way, when I was a kid, uh, my grandmother would take us and we would go do something fun. But before we went to go do the thing that was fun, we'd stop at this thing called an ATM. She put a little card in, put some little buttons, and it'd give her money. As a kid, I'm like, man, I need to get one of those card things. So I'll go do this little money thing, right? This is awesome, right? You didn't learn, I later learned that, oh, that had to come out of her bank account. Anyway, um, you know, that's how money works. And so we've got all these different stressors. We've got um, loneliness is much more pronounced during this time because we're much more aware of the, of the fact that we might not have the connections we wanted. Uh, relational discord in our family and our friends is much more heightened because we're aware that maybe we're not getting together like we normally did. 
Um, there's a lot of things that we call the Christmas blues that are present and ever present in December and at this time. And that's added to this year, a pandemic and all the other things that have been added onto our plates. It's all there. And so let me ask you a question. In the midst of a year like this, in the midst of a time like this, is it possible to experience hope? Is it possible? Now, we're all in church, and you expect me to say yes, and I'm going to say yes. But what I want to do today is to show us and consider how to experience hope. Like, I want to get real practical, how to experience hope in a time that feels hopeless. Because I'm sure that a lot of us, we've had times where we've, we've set our expectations really high for Christmas. Some of us, we just can't help it. Everything's got to be perfect, it's going to be amazing. And yet, every single year, we seem to have those expectations never met. And so what does it look like then to experience hope in the midst of this life right now, in 2020, Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to look at that today. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to there. Matthew chapter 1. So Christmas expectations. (laughs) So uh, if you imagine um, your expectations um, around Christmas... Joseph was someone uh, who understood what it meant to have your expectations not be met. Okay? So uh, Matthew, uh, he was a tax collector, traitor to the Jews, and ended up following Jesus, and then wrote this book called the Book of Matthew. But it's really a book called, about, about Jesus. It's a gospel account, a biography. What did Jesus do? How did he do it? And he's writing the first chapter from the perspective of Joseph. So this is a Jewish guy who's engaged, betrothed to this teenage girl named Mary. Okay? So they're, they're engaged. They're, they're set to be married. And Joseph, I'm sure, like if you are married, go back to the time when you were engaged. If you're engaged, think about how you think right now. If you want to be engaged, then these are some of the things that you would probably be thinking about. Or if you think you met the one, you might be thinking about some of these things. I'm sure Joseph was, was kind of going about his life, daydreaming about what life was going to be like with Mary. Like, oh, it's going to be so good. We're going to go on so many adventures. Our house, like thinking about the house that we're going to have. You know, they'd probably be thinking about that. Uh, they'd probably be thinking about uh, the things they're going to do. What life is going to be like. How is, oh, it's going to be so amazing waking up to her, uh, next to her uh, in bed and, and just be able to enjoy her, her morning breath. You know, it's going to be great. Because before that, you know, you're, you're so infatuated with each other. Like you can't even stand being apart, right? And you're just, just ah, looking forward to it so much. And then one day, Joseph gets a text. He didn't get a text, but he got a text, okay? And it was one of his buddies. Saw Mary one day. And this is all conjecture, by the way, okay? Um, Joseph got a text by his buddy, and... Th- he noticed something going on with Mary. Something that wasn't supposed to be happening, right? Like, it wasn't that she just ate too many boxes of Twinkies. Something was going on, right? And he's like, hey, man, you need to, you need to look into this. Something's going on. Maybe he sent, like, a Snapchat, you know, picture to him. I don't know. Um, and so Joseph has to talk to Mary about something going on here. He's like, hey, hold on. We didn't cook that meal. You know what I'm saying? We didn't cook that meal. That ain't happened because we good and faithful Jews. We ain't do that yet. So what's going on? And this is Mary's response. You know, just imagine this, okay? 
This is not meeting Joseph's Christmas expectations because he didn't even know about Christmas. Yeah, um, it's the Holy Spirit's. Like, you just imagine that. It's the Holy Spirit's. The Holy Spirit got me pregnant. And you got to be thinking about, like, Joseph. Like, for real? Oh, really? <laughs> Holy Spirit got you pregnant. I didn't know he did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to have to figure this out. Like, you, you, like, not only a cheater, but you crazy, too. Like, something's going on, right? So now he's starting to think, oh, I got to see one path. That's divorce. We got to call this thing off. We're not doing it. And he's got to find out, is he going to do it publicly? Is he going to do it privately? Have you ever had your hopes shattered, y'all? Let me take you back six or seven years ago. Um, family was over. Sarah and I were living in our two-bedroom townhouse. Little Kyrea was a baby at the time. And we, uh, like I said, had family over. And I don't think our expectations were too high. You know, we kind of moderated them. Like, it's not crazy high expectations, but we had some expectations for the day. Um, but then something happened. Our hope was shattered. I should probably tell you what happened. So, you know, like, Thanksgiving time, you're supposed to have a turkey. And you're supposed to, like, cook it when it's not frozen. Right? Well, this turkey had a hard heart. Wasn't dealing with some stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? It was frozen inside. We didn't let it free, let it thaw out enough time. We didn't realize it until we started cooking it or something like that. And so we start cooking this turkey and, and hoping for the best, right? Uh, but then we find out it wasn't quite the level on Christmas vacation when they cut in the turkey and it just blows up, right? You know what I'm saying? I just watched that this weekend. Such, such a good movie. Uh, anyway, uh, I shouldn't endorse that as a pastor, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's from my past, okay? Um, so we had to scrounge out like half of it. The other half was disgusting. We couldn't eat it. Have you ever had your hopes shattered? We had, had our expectations like moderately high, like, oh, our turkey's good. I don't even like turkey, y'all. I like ham. Much easier to cook, too. It tastes way better. You can fight me on that. I will argue with you. But, you know, we, we set our Christmas expectations high. The decorations need to be perfect. They need to be able to, like, we don't need a filter on them bad boys. We need to post it to Instagram. It needs a no filter. It's fine. Uh, we want to make sure that all the kids are behaving. Why? Because we got Christmas music on, y'all. We got Christmas music. This is my expectation. Christmas music should make everyone happy. The boys need to stop punching, themselves, punching each other in the face. You know what I mean? That's my household. But they don't get the picture, y'all. They, they, just, they just keep going crazy. So my expectations aren't met. We, we expect our, our family to have harmony. We expect that when we gather, everyone will be happy and enjoy it, and everyone will, will be able to talk to each other. We don't expect Cousin Eddie to show up. We expect everyone we want to be there to show up, and we expect everyone else who we don't want to be there to not show up, even though we felt obligated to invite them. Amen? <laughs> okay. I was going to be honest. Uh, and, and this year we're like, we expect to gather, but should we gather? We, we want everything to fit exactly the way we want it to. We spend all that time getting all the decorations going, and we don't expect a chain of events that results in a, a, a wooden board hitting, us, hitting ourselves in the face, right? By the way, Aaron does his own stunts, y'all. He's like Jackie Chan. I don't know if you noticed the last few weeks, but he had some busted nose. That for real happened. That was like legitimate... Bam. So he sacrificed a lot for y'all uh, to, to get that shot. Um, we expect a lot around Christmas. And I'm sure Joseph expected a lot. 
for his upcoming marriage. But now he's in a pickle. He's asked to figure out what he's going to do. So it goes on, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But after he had considered these things, what he considered, well, whether or not to divorce her privately or to divorce her publicly, basically because they were together, if she would have committed adultery, that was a thing that was able to be punishable by death. So it was a big deal. So he has to figure out what he's going to do. So he's considering that, these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Like, it's for real. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him. You are, Joseph. You are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So we could, we could spend a lot of time on uh, the Joseph's perspective on this. But I want to just bring out what, what the focus of the text is here that Matthew's bringing out. What does he say he's supposed to name his name? Jesus. Why? What is he going to do? He's going to save, our, save his people from their, what's that word, church? Save the people from their sins. Sin is the underlying foundational issue that plagues all of mankind. Plagues you, plagues me, plagues every system, plagues every uh, corporation, plagues every organization. Plagues everything that you can see. Sin is what plagues us. We see the surface issues on, on issues, but there is always an issue underneath the issue. There's always a problem underneath the problem. And that problem at the foundation, when you get to the bottom of it, is sin. And so the Jewish expectation back then for their, uh, their, the Messiah to come was not for him to come and deal with their sin. They didn't see that as the foundational problem. They saw Rome, the uh, oppressors, as the foundational issue. They wanted the Messiah, the king, to come and reign over the Romans, push them out so that they could be restored to power and prominence and prosperity as a nation. And so when Jesus comes like a little baby, a little weak baby, Little baby, little baby Jesus, you know, tuxedo t-shirt, another joke. (laughs) Some of y'all got that, sinners. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) that's not what they expected. They expected something better, something more. But here's the thing. Sin is the foundational issue that plagues all of humankind. And this is what sin does to each one of us individually. Just just individuals, this is what sin does, at least six things. So if you take notes, take notes real quick, because I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but you can take notes. Number one, sin deprives us of strength and comfort. When, when we leave sin unchecked in our lives, when it plagues us, we are deprived of strength and comfort. We feel weak, we feel uncomfortable, we feel like this is not how it ought to be. Number two, sin weakens us in our desire to spend time with God in Bible reading and prayer. Satan doesn't want us to spend time with God. Y'all understand that, right? Sin drives us away from a desire to be with him. Why? Because sin brings shame and shame drives us away from our heavenly father. Why? Because we feel like we're unworthy because we are, but we don't understand the love of God. And so Satan wants us to be driven away rather than to draw near. Number three, sin captures our hearts so that what we desire most is sin. When you are enraptured by sin, when it's taken over, then what you desire the most is sin. And this is the crazy thing, y'all, because sin never satisfies. You always have to go back to it and always go back to it and always go back to it and yet be let down every single time. 
Number four, sin stands at the podium of our mind, speaking to us and shaping our thoughts. When we leave sin unchecked at an individual level, that's what takes over the podium of our lives, the podium of our heart. It's what speaks to us. It's what tells us what is true, what tells us how it is, what tells us what people think about us, what tells us what God thinks about us. Sin takes on the podium and starts to speak to us and shaping our thoughts to where we can't get out of our own way. Number five, sin robs us of the time a relationship with God requires. Sin distracts us, y'all. To where we don't have the time to spend time with God so that we would have a relationship with him. A relationship with God takes time, just like every other relationship you have in your life. If you want to be good, you got to spend time. Spend time with him. But sin will drive you away. Sin darkens our soul and tries to extinguish hope. It tries to get us away from being able to look to the author and perfecter of our faith in Jesus. Sin tries to push us away, darkens our soul, so that we don't have any hope. Sin is the foundational issue, and the Jews didn't see that. But you know what? Uh, you ever, for a loved one, you know, they have, maybe, maybe you still do this, like people give you a Christmas list, or you make a Christmas list. You ever gone off of the Christmas list, gone away from the Christmas list, and got them something that they didn't know that they wanted? Anybody ever done that? Or maybe something they didn't know that they needed, right? Well, that's what God did for us. Because a lot of us, we want, we want him to solve our symptoms. We want him to solve the surface issues that are in our lives. We want him to make us happy. We want him to make us uh, prom, prosper. We want us to make him make us happy and go lucky. We want us to not face suffering. We want us to be kind of just numb to any kind of difficulty. But, but Jesus knew that he was the present that we all needed because we needed to have sin dealt with once and for all because sin kills. Sin, that's just, what I've said is just on an individual level. Sin fractures relationships. It breaks apart families. Sin is something that it fractures our relationship with God to where there's a chasm and we can't cross it because we don't have the ability to do it. Sin kills. Sin is the most foundational issue. And so when the angel told G Joseph to name Jesus, Jesus, it was because Jesus was going to come and he was on a mission to save us from our sins. Because this is what the saving power of Jesus does. Jesus floods us with strength and comfort. That's number one. Where sin robs us of strength, robs us of comfort, Jesus floods us with it. Number two, Jesus draws us close to the Father and gives us the Spirit so that we are driven to be close to the Almighty God. Jesus drives us toward him. He draws us near. He invites us to come into the presence of God. He doesn't say, hey, go away. No, he says, draw near. Number three, Jesus captures our heart and gives us new desires that are oriented around knowing him and glorifying him. This is a beautiful thing. Because not only are you, is your sin forgiven, not only are you a forgiven person through Jesus, but he will, over time, give you new desires in your heart. To where you no longer desire the sin as much, but you desire to know him more where you desire to have your life be a living sacrifice for him, where you're willing to sacrifice your own preferences so that other people would know him. Your desires change. And this is a beautiful reality for us because we need our hearts remade and reshaped by Jesus. And that's what he does. He gives us new desires. Number four, Jesus pushes sin off the podium, kicks him off, pushes him off the podium of our mind and, and begins making his voice loudest in our mind, speaking to us and shaping our thoughts. To where you now start to preach the gospel to yourself. How many of us know that we need to remind ourselves of what's true in Jesus? 
We need to be reminding ourselves, preaching to ourselves. And that's what Jesus does. He takes on the podium, kicks sin off, and every day it's a struggle because sometimes we're in a mood where like, oh, sin, come on. Talk to me. Talk to me. Come on. Just come on. Let, let's have you talk. And then we have to, no, oh, no, Jesus coming in, convicting us. No, he's the one who gets to take on the podium of our heart. Number five, Jesus gives us purpose for our time and equips us to help others know him. Y'all, you never have to live a day where you question whether or not you are made for a purpose, where you are made for a mission. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Your life has a mission, and that is to make sure other people experience Jesus by telling them about what he has done. By living a living sacrifice, being a living testimony for others. It doesn't matter where you work, what your uh, occupation is, how old you are, what grade you're in. It doesn't matter. God has given each one of us a mission, and that is to make sure everyone knows that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus can save them from their sins. It doesn't matter how much you know or don't know. It doesn't matter if you have a Bible college degree or not. He's called us all on a mission. Number six, Jesus drives out the darkness that is deep within our souls so that little by little sin is extinguished by the powerful stream of hope. Little by little, we're growing. Little by little, the Holy Spirit is taking out those sinful, dark areas of our heart. Those places where the devil had dominion and reshaping it, extinguishing that away so that we can have hope. But it doesn't even stop there. Jesus doesn't even stop there, y'all. Because have you ever noticed that when you are in front of a, an amazing like mountain, you're in awe? Have you ever noticed that when you're in front of a, a stream that's just beautiful and peaceful, you're like, oh, this is so good. Have you, ever, have you ever been just awestruck by the power of the ocean as it's coming in wave after wave after wave after wave? Have you ever seen God's creation and just been awestruck at the beauty of it? Anybody? Can I get a witness? <laughs> we were made for perfection. That's why this life is so difficult. We were not made to experience what we're experiencing. We were made to experience the perfect presence of God in the midst of a perfect world. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it fractured everything. Because that's another thing that sin does. It makes what, per- what was perfect, what was supposed to be perfect and good, imperfect. And twisted. He goes on and he says this. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Isaiah. 600 years before Jesus was born. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. So this Jesus is Emmanuel, who is the perfect presence, the perfect embodiment, the perfect God coming down to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Y'all, we need the presence of God in us and and around us. We need to be surrounded by him because it's not just that God saves us from our sins. It's that he gives us a gift in his presence. It's that we can live in freedom with him. We can live in freedom with him. Anybody like going to corn mazes? Random question, I know. It's fine. Corn mazes, anybody? No? Somebody like it? No? Cool. Um, so we recently, uh, you know, the fall time, went to a place called Steel Farms. Anybody been there? Steel Farms? Cool. All right, somebody. Cool. 
Um, and uh, I, I'm not going to tell you their first names, but I'll tell you their last name. We went with some people. Their last name was Jefferson. Okay, I'm not going to say any names, just no, just the last name. Uh, you can fill that in. Uh, but, you know, we showed up because we were going to do the corn maze. We showed up, the Kelly fam showed up with grimy, dirty, dirty shoes, right? I have my work boots on, y'all. I even, I have some work boots. Y'all like, what do you do that for? You know, whatever. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, and so we went into this corn maze, but here's the thing. They showed up, some of them, with these pearly white shoes on. Like, what are y'all doing? What, what is that? Y'all didn't come prepared because you're going to get those muddy. Y'all, it'd be like, you know, perfection coming down. That would be like my brand new Chuck Taylors. Look at these things. Immaculate, y'all online. See them? Beautiful. Amazing. Perfect. And me putting them in some mud. You just don't do that. Right? You just don't do it. Just don't do it. It's not okay. Mom would get upset. You don't do that. That's what it was like when Jesus, perfection came down and spent time in the midst of our mud, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our muck and mire. All of our sin, all of our dirty stuff. He's the one who came down. To be in it. We would be like, no, Jesus, don't do that. You're perfect, spotless, blemish. You don't, you don't have anything like you're pearly white. It's all good. You are, you don't need to be in here. It doesn't fit. We don't want to get you dirty, Jesus. But the good news is Jesus stepped down into our mess. He knew every little messy thing about you. All the stuff that you never have told anyone, no one else knows about, God knows about it. And yet he still came down. To be in the midst of your mess. So that he could bring you out of it. So that he could wash you clean. So Jesus came down. He put his pearly white shoes in the mud. Got muddy with us. Took our mess. Put it on himself. And died a perfect death. Shedding his blood. But then again, on Sunday, on the third day, y'all. We found out that the mud didn't stick. The mud didn't stick. He has washed us white as clean. He was perfect. His sacrifice was sufficient forever and all time. He took on our sin and washed it white, white as snow. This is what Jesus did uh, on, on the night of his betrayal. He had all of his disciples and they were having a meal. And, and this is where we get communion, the Lord's Supper from. But before they ate, y'all, this is what he did. Uh, Typically, y'all, they had some really dirty feet because they were walking around. They didn't have like sidewalks and stuff. They're walking in the stuff with the animals and they did the stuff and you walk in it. It's just not good. So every house had this spot where you would wash your feet. They usually had a servant do it to wash your feet before you came in. So you didn't track in that stuff in people's house. That's rude. But for some reason, they didn't have anybody do that. So everybody's got their dirty feet. And usually when they eat, they uh, are, are, they don't have like a table where you sit like this. But they, they lay down, and they always have their feet furthest from the table because it's dirty. You don't want the feet around that stuff, right? Um, and Jesus did this. He walked around, and, and he came down, and he took the water, and he washed their dirty feet. And Peter's like, hey, no, 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 Jesus, don't do that. Like, you're not supposed to do that. No, don't do that. And Jesus says, you need to let me clean you because then you'll truly be clean. And Peter's like, oh, you can wash every part of me. That's fine. He's like, dude, I'm just washing your feet. It's a metaphor, okay? <laughs> and he goes around to each one of his disciples, and he washes their feet. It's nastiness. Because what he was going to do on the cross was he was going to wipe away our sin. So Jesus 
was willing to come down into the mud with his perfect presence and show us what life was meant to be like. Life was meant to be us experiencing the perfect presence of God in the midst of a world that is perfect. And that's something that in this day and time, man, wouldn't that be nice to experience that? We need his presence. Uh, we, we know that there's sin in our lives. But even more than that, like we understand that in the midst of the, the, the difficulties, the, the anguish, the pain, the grief, the sadness that we experience on a daily basis, whether there's a pandemic or not, there's something in us that we, even, even if we don't want to be around other people, we understand that it's not good for us to be alone, that we need, something's missing. We need to be with God. Anybody watch The Good Doctor? Good Doctor? Good Doctor? Somebody? Okay. All right. I need to figure out what y'all like so I can get some better sermon illustrations. Um, okay. Anyway, it's a show. Y'all should watch it. It's pretty good. Um, and... Uh, the, the most recent episode, there's, there's, uh, this doctor, he's a resident, and it was his first patient where he had responsibility over this patient, full, like fully. Um, so it was a big deal for a resident, right? And he misdiagnoses, he misses a diagnosis for this, for this man, and to make a long story short, uh, the man died. And so this young, new resident doctor is dealing with the the weight of the fact that his mistake cost someone his life, cost someone their life. And the, the main character, he's not usually super social aware, but he was in this moment, at least to some level. And he comes up, this, this guy's sitting on a bench in the hallway and, and uh, the, his supervisor, uh, he says, hey, why don't you just go home, get some rest, you know, like, go do that. And the doctor who had just, his patient had just died, he said, I just, I don't want to be alone right now. I just don't want to be alone right now. And that is the aching of every person's heart. If you spend enough time thinking about it and reflecting on it, the things you missed out on as a kid, the things you missed out on as an adult, maybe because of the dynamic with your parents or the dynamic with someone who was supposed to love you, but it didn't. The dynamic we miss, even if we had a great upbringing is the full presence of God. Is God being with us and comforting us because we live in a world that is broken. And so maybe in this time, more than ever, we need to understand that if you follow Jesus, if you surrendered to him and he's your king, then there is never going to be a time where you are alone. There will never be a time when you're lonely and no one seems to care, he's with you. When you feel unworthy and like you don't measure up in the eyes of other people, he's with you. When you feel so dirty and grimy, he's with you. When you're struggling, he's with you. When your thought world is going berserk in a place that God would never want you to experience, he's with you. When you are experiencing relational discord, he's with you. When you're navigating the dynamics of 2020 Christmas and trying to figure out what that's going to look like, he's with you. When your kids won't listen, he's with you. When they listen, he's with you. When, when you are struggling 
to take another step, he's with you. When your finances are dwindling and you don't know how to get your next meal, he's with you. There's never a place where you will get to that is so low that he will not be with you. Because when you hit rock bottom, he's the rock that's going to be picking you up. He's the one we need and he is with you. So the question is, how do we experience hope in a time like this? The important thing with hope is who's your hope in? What's your hope in? Because hope is a nice idea unless it's anchored to something that doesn't matter, then it doesn't work. But if your hope is anchored to Jesus, then that changes everything. And this is what hope in Jesus does. Hope in Jesus infuses this confident expectation into our whole being, every part of us. Better days are yet to come. Better days are still to come. I know today is really terrible. I know that yesterday was even worse. I know that the way that this is trending right now is not very good, but better days are still to come. Why? Jesus is still king. Jesus did deliver you from your sin. Jesus is still with you right now, and Jesus will one day come back and right every wrong and make everything that was imperfect into perfection. Better days are still to come. I know it might seem like that right now. I know that you're probably overwhelmed by a lot of different things, but better days are still to come. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne. So this is what I would call us to do. If you want to experience hope today, then we need to get back to this very simple idea of reflection. Of reflection. Because I'm just guessing that some of you are like me. It can be so easy for us to get so busy so that we can distract ourselves of what we're actually experiencing. So that we don't spend any time dwelling too much on what we're experiencing. Because we know that if we did, we'd be in shambles and covered in tears. But what I think Jesus would want us to do is to be able to look that straight in the face. What we're experiencing and feel it. Not stuff it. To feel it but then also to reflect on the truth of what he has done and what he will do and what he's doing right now. So reflection is powerful, and we're going to do something here in a minute that will maybe open the door for us to start doing this, and hopefully you'll start doing this on a daily basis. But let me get to the three truths. Three truths to reflect on to experience hope. And I promise you, if you just spend some time reflecting on these things, it will give you hope. Number one, God intimately knows all your mess-ups, and yet... He still came down to save you. He knows all the stuff, y'all. He knows all the stuff. And it didn't make him run away. He knows all the things that you try and hide. And it didn't make him run away. He knows all the stuff you've done when no one was around. And he still came down. He knows. And yet he still loves you. And he still has saved you. Number two, because of the indwelling of the Spirit, you will never be alone. He is with you. Because of the indwelling of the Spirit... You will never be alone because he is with you. There will never be a time. If you follow Jesus, if you've made the decision to follow him, to surrender to him, you've, you've given your life to, to him in faith and repentance and you confessed him as Lord and you went into the waters of baptism, came up a new creation. If that is you, you will never be alone. He is with you. He is with you. Number three, Jesus will come again and this time usher us into perfection with him for eternity. There will be a day when that day that is still yet to come will come. And all our hopes will be realized. Every person on this earth who will be alive at that time will bow their knee 
And they will confess that Jesus is king, that he is Lord of all. So what, I th- what we're going to do um, is, is to do something to remind us that it's not up to us to make Christmas perfect. It's not up to you. The way this month plays out, the, the things you do, the things you don't do, the traditions that happen, the traditions that don't happen, the differences that you experience, it's not up to those things to make Christmas perfect. Because Christmas already is. Why? Because the perfect son came down to save us. So this is what we're going to do. This is a little bit different, and you just have to roll with me. We're going to do something uh, that maybe make some of us uncomfortable, and that's okay. If you're at home, please do this. We're going to spend some time in silence, a little guided silence, and I'm going to encourage us to reflect on these three truths. So this is practically what I'm asking us to do. It's for all of us to close our eyes right now. And we're all doing this together, so you don't have to feel weird. It's fine. No, no peeking. Just close your eyes. Spend some time with God. And, and this is what I'm asking you to do also. Posture is important when we go to God. Um, and so if you are someone who you need hope um, and, and you need a renewed hope or you need a new hope in Jesus, um, then I'm going to ask you to just put your hands out with your palms up in a posture of receiving Um, And we're going to spend some time in just some guided silence reflecting on these three truths. And what I'm going to encourage you to do as we move on from here is to do this each and every day. To spend some time in silence reflecting on the truths of what God has done. So as we're all quiet, um, another thing to keep in mind is that our bodies uh, are holistic. Our physiology impacts our emotions and vice versa. And so what I'd encourage you to do right now is just slow your breathing down, take some deep breaths and then slowly let out that breath and just help your your heart, your soul to calm down. So right now, I just want to encourage you to reflect on the fact that God intimately knows all your mess ups and yet he still came down to save you. So reflect what kind of mess ups have you had in your life? How much of a mess have you made? And then reflect on the fact that Jesus still came and he died for you and he rose again victoriously. Thank you for seeing every part of us, every bit of us, every action we've taken, every thought we've ever thought, every image that has been in our minds, every image that's been in our eyes, seeing everything and still yet pursuing us and coming down to rescue us. Let's reflect on the fact that because of the indwelling of the Spirit, we'll never be alone. He is with us. He is with you. strength, 
despairing. You're dealing with sadness. When you're victorious, when things are good, everything in between, he's with us. friends, we can reflect on and keep in mind that Jesus will come again, and this time he's going to usher us, he's going to bring us in to perfection with him for all of eternity. Let's fix our eyes on that day, the day our hope is realized. keep your eyes closed, but I want to bring up something that Advent is a time where we are leaning into the discomfort of waiting, the silence, the waiting. It reminds me of, for the disciples who walked with Jesus, they saw him, they got to be taught by him, they were healed by him. They were healed, healing other people in his name, but then they, then, then he went to the cross and he died and they didn't know what to expect. The disciples, they were experiencing Sabbath on Saturday and they didn't have the knowledge we have right now of what happened on Sunday, but in the Saturday they were waiting. They were wondering what's next. They were waiting on what's going to happen now. What's God going to do now? God, are you even there? Are you even with me? Are you even here? We put all our hope in him and now he's dead. I can't help but think about right now we are, we are after the resurrection and the ascension where Jesus rose again and he went onto the throne room in heaven and he's sitting there right now. But we are now experiencing this weird in-between moment where we've been forgiven, we've been rescued, we've been ransomed, we've been forgiven, we've been released from the bondage of sin and yet we still live in a world that is fully sinful, fully imperfect. We still live in the midst of an earth that is ruled by the by the prince of darkness, Satan. And so right now we are in Saturday waiting on Sunday and waiting on that moment where our living hope will come back again and will re, uh, re-show us his grace and his faithfulness where he will usher us into the kingdom that he has prepared. And so right now as we spend time in December waiting reflecting on what he's done and waiting for what he's going to do. May we have hope in him because he, we thank God that he is our hope who is alive. He is not dead. He is not in the grave, y'all. He is alive. And he is with us. So church, you can, you can open your eyes now and I'd invite you to stand. We are going to celebrate the fact that even though Saturday was long, even though it was hard, Sunday did come. And there will be a day where that better to come day will be here. It will be our reality. It will be our present moment. So right now, would you just stand? And even if you don't feel it, even if you're not there yet, just sing out and praise to him because he is worthy to be worshiped. And he has given us a living hope. And that is himself.